Well, good morning. As was said, my name is Ryan. Um, I'm down here visiting uh, you guys from Modesto. I'm a covenant partner at Trinity United Presbyterian Church, uh, and I'm also a candidate for ordination there um, and uh, in this presbytery. So um, I'm also a Master of Divinity student at Western Seminary. Uh, that's out of Portland, but I'm an online student. Uh, and I want to start off by thanking you all for inviting me to share God's word with you. Um, I'm not new to being a part of church services or being on stage, but I am still pretty new to the pulpit. This is only my second time preaching, so uh, thank you for bearing with me and giving me the opportunity to hone my skills here. Um, the passage I selected today was mercifully short, so I decided to compensate and write an excruciatingly long sermon for you. <laughs> only kidding. Uh, this passage was one I had the opportunity to um, study last semester when I was taking a class on biblical interpretation, and uh, it was one that amazed me that with just a little bit of digging under the surface, finding the context that Luke wrote in the story, uh, it really opened up and revealed the um, not so mystical secrets, but uh, a deeper message that I had understood, that I hadn't understood from past readings of Acts. And uh, when I was asked to come preach here, I felt this was a perfect passage to share for this congregation. And I prayed about it and felt God, too, wanted me to preach from this text. So I hope this, I hope this text blesses you as it did for me. And uh, will you pray with me? Father, I've done all the preparation that I can, and I'm trusting in you to help me through this. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our God, and our Redeemer. Amen. So starting out here, we find Paul on his second missionary journey, and he's treading familiar ground uh, through Asia Minor, which is a broad region extending from the Euphrates to the Aegean Sea, and that's essentially comprising what is modern-day Turkey. Uh, however, this time it appears the Holy Spirit is not letting Paul and his companions minister and evangelize in the way that they had before. Paul's been here before. He started many of these churches, but for some reason, God is telling him no. He's not allowed to do ministry the way that he did in the past. Paul has faced resistance before, but in the past, that resistance came from people, not from God. Paul was used to people getting in his way. He'd even been stoned by this point. And, uh, but having God get in his way is something entirely different. Um, in fact, the only time prior to this that God had prevented Paul from his work was on the road to Damascus, and we all know why Paul was stopped on that journey. The Pharisees lost their greatest persecutor, and Christ claimed his greatest evangelist. But here it's not the people that are acting as Paul's barrier, but the Holy Spirit. Prior to this, we know that Paul was sent to Antioch with Barnabas to deliver a message from Jerusalem. And from Antioch, Paul and now Silas are leaving to revisit some of the churches that Paul had been to previously and check in on them. So on the way, they pick up the young half-Greek, half-Jew, Timothy, and their journey seems to start well. So if you look back at verse 5, it says, So the churches were strengthened in their faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So immediately before this, um, this time of the Spirit confounding them, Paul and his companions were experiencing a time of spiritual success. They went from one extreme to the other. 
And I'd imagine here that this was very jarring. Paul and his companions go from wide open doors to everything completely shut. I would imagine here that they would become frustrated, or perhaps it's better to say disappointed. Paul set out with great plans to continue and expand on his previous mission. He came ready to spread the word of God. But the Spirit over and over said, no. He turned to the right, and the Spirit stopped him from preaching. He turned to the left, and the Spirit prevented him from evangelizing. How often do we find ourselves in a similar way? We engage in ministry in the way we have always done, and God says no. It's easy here to become disheartened. God, I've always ministered in this city. God, we've always sent missionaries to that country. Even when we don't know what it feels like for God to change the way we have always done something, we almost all certainly know what it feels like for God to change our plans. I know this is true in my own life. Before I accepted God's call to go into ministry, I pursued a career first in medicine and later in psychotherapy. I felt the desire that God had put into my heart to serve others, but I did not let God dictate how I was supposed to do that. I enjoyed academic study, and if I had pursued it, I probably could have gotten the degrees necessary to complete those goals, but God said no. If you have ever experienced God saying no, you know that it is a difficult obstacle to overcome. God certainly gives you the option to make your own way, but it isn't easy. Believe me, I've tried. <laughs> Rather, when we submit to God's will, though not always easy, our path straightens. And we find, as we'll see with Paul shortly, God's plan was more glorious all along. So as Paul and his companions continue on their journey, they make their way to Troas, the end of the line, so to speak. And a little geography lesson is in order here. So if you're not familiar with that region like I wasn't before I, I took this class, Troas is not only the end of Asia Minor, but it's also at the very edge of Asia, the continent. And it's important to note here that Asia mentioned in, mentioned in the passage in verse 6 is the Roman province of Asia, not the continent. Did you get that? So there's the continent, there's the Asia Minor, the region, and Asia, the province. Um, and then Troas, it's along the coast of the Aegean Sea. So it's part of the westernmost section of both Asia, the province, and Asia, the continent. And Troas being the westernmost section of Asia means something important. And if it's not too obvious to say, being the westernmost section of Asia is by definition close to the easternmost section of Europe. We know from the book of Romans that Paul has a strong desire to visit Rome. We know, too, that Luke frames the book of Acts in part as the gospel moving towards Rome. The Roman Empire, for good and for ill, would play a huge role in allowing Christianity to spread and grow, even if at first it would try to suppress it. God wants his gospel to spread. In the Great Commission, Christ calls his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. The apostles begin to do this in and around Judea, but it is Paul who has chosen to actualize the all nations part of that command. Within this passage, it feels at first as if Paul is failing this mission. Everywhere he goes, he's prevented from preaching. But we know that Paul has already been here, 
most of the cities he's going to are the ones he's already evangelized. God has bigger plans, not to just check in on the churches Paul previously established, but to spread the gospel further and farther. God plans to spread the gospel beyond what Paul had envisioned for this trip. They go beyond Rome and even Europe. They go to a widespread church that would go on to evangelize the world. We'll get some water real quick, too. And so Paul and his companions reach Troas, the end of Asia. In the night, Paul receives a vision from the man of a man from Macedonia. Now, Macedonia lies across the Aegean Sea from Asia Minor. It is home to familiar New Testament cities like, such as Philippi and Thessalonica, and is part of the easternmost section of Europe that we were talking about. Again, up to this point, God has been telling Paul no. Everywhere he's tried to preach, the Spirit prevented him. Here, though, we see God opening a new door. What likely felt like one door closing after another was God pushing Paul through to the next great evangelistic mission. You see, however Paul felt about the Spirit thwarting his plans for the mission, Paul listened. We can speculate that Paul was disappointed or disheartened and not allowed to preach, but we can see in the text that he pushes through. When God says no, he kept moving forward. He trusted God's word. This trust led him on a straight path towards God's bigger goal. New Testament scholar Daryl Bach in his commentary on Acts puts it like this. In this situation, God made it evident to Paul that another ministerial itinerary was desired. To this, there was only one response, obedience. So Paul trusted that God had a greater plan than his own, and when God revealed it to him, he responded the only way he knew was right. He obeyed. The man in the vision asked Paul to come and help him. Bach also notes that in the Bible, a call for help is a call to be saved. The Hebrew azar, to help, is often used to denote this life-saving help that God provides. The corresponding Greek word in this passage, and I'm going to try to not mess this up, is boithesin, finds similar usage in the New Testament. It has origins as a military term used to describe responding to an urgent and critical need. The need for God's salvation in Macedonia was great. It seemed God did not want Paul to delay any longer. So he urged him through Asia Minor without stops. He took him to the edge of the continent and gave him a vision. That vision would be the sign for Paul to move on to the next evangelistic frontier. And a worthy side note here is for the observant Bible readers, you may notice that in verse 10, uh, Luke switches from they to us. And it's likely, and many scholars conclude, that this is where Luke joins Paul on his journey. So what does this all mean? God had a bigger plan for Paul, bigger plans for the gospel. To get Paul where God wanted him to go, God had to close some doors. Paul couldn't just retread the same places. He needed to move on. So God moved him along through the prompting of the Holy Spirit and through a vision. You might ask after reading a passage like this if God will give you a clear vision when he wants you to go down a certain path. The answer is really, maybe. <laughs> Even for Paul, visions like this weren't all that common. 
the opening verses of Hebrews actually puts this well, saying, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. It's not the main point of that passage, but the author of Hebrews conveys here that over the generations, God has spoken to people in different ways. Joseph interpreted dreams. Moses had the burning bush. The disciples had Christ. Paul had this vision, and we today most commonly hear God's will through the scriptures. Some may be blessed with the gift of a vision, but many others may not. What's important to recognize here is that Paul did decide to act on the vision, didn't decide to act on the vision in isolation. We can see in verse 10, it says, when he, Paul, had seen the vision, we, the group, immediately sought to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us, all of them, not just Paul, to preach the gospel to them. If you are blessed to have a vision, take it to God, weigh it against the scripture, and share it with other believers who can help you discern. What is most important here is not how God revealed his will to Paul, but that God did reveal his will and that Paul obeyed God's will without hesitation. This type of obedience, however, is challenging. Our natural instinct is to trust ourselves or trust something tangible. Even when we know in our mind that God is trustworthy, trusting what we cannot see is still not easy. But Christ our Lord obeyed the Father unto death. He saved us from our sins, the very sins that cause us to doubt and disobey. By Christ's power, we can overcome our doubts and trust in the Lord who has a bigger and better plan. When we trust God and obey his will, we not only are saved, but get to be a part of the saving of others. We become instruments for his will and spread the gospel further and farther. To speak more candidly and directly to this congregation, you just lost your longtime beloved pastor to another calling. And understandably, this is a heartbreaking no from God, much the same as when God told Paul and Silas no to preaching through Asia Minor. But God is faithful. He is trustworthy. God always has a bigger plan to enact his kingdom. God has a plan for this congregation. Though he turned the page on the previous chapter of your church, he does have something more planned. My prayer would be for him to use you in a new and amazing way to further the kingdom and spread the gospel. He simply must be ready to trust, and, trust him and obey his will when he makes it known. More broadly, how can we apply this to our lives? Pray to be open to God's leading when he calls you. God desires us to be open to his will, and he alone can help us to be open. Trusting God can be hard, but remember, remember the appeal from Mark 9 of a father with a spirit-possessed son. I believe. Help my unbelief. God wants to help you in your unbelief. After that, identify areas in your life that, might be holding, that you might be holding on to your own plans. This is crucial, and it's all too common for us to ask God to bless our plans instead of asking him to show us his plans. Lastly, when God does call you in a new direction, step out in faith. My life first is Isaiah 6, 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? 
And I said, here I am, send me. This is my life verse, not because I perfectly live it out every day. I tend to react more like Moses saying, who am I that I should go? Or Gideon answering, but how can I? My clan is the weakest, and I'm the least of my family. It's my life verse because how I pray and strive, because it is how I pray and strive to be and respond to God. God did not even have to ask Isaiah directly. He simply put the opportunity before him, and Isaiah says yes. God may sometimes tell us no, but his plans are ultimately better. When God asks us to step out in faith, let's be like Isaiah, like Paul, like Christ, who though he was equal to the Father, chose to submit to his will for us. By his power, we can overcome our sinful inclinations and do the same. Will you pray with me? Father, we just, we come before you and we ask that you help us to submit better to your will. Father, sometimes we don't trust you even though we know you're trustworthy. We ask that you help our unbelief, help us to, to trust you more, to find those areas that we aren't trusting you enough. We pray that when the time comes and the opportunity comes for us to step out in our faith, that you give us the courage and ability to do so. God, I've done my best. It's up to you to do the rest. In your name we pray, amen.